I wanted to to dig into like a genetic. Do people have like a genetic disposition, or are they born more happy, or what does the data show around? Like, is it attitude, or is it nature versus nurture? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so there are data that suggest that well being is heritable, meaning there should be some genetic component, and we know that from like data that we know that from research that studies twins. And so you compare identical and fraternal twins. Identical twins have the same genes. Fraternal twins, they live in the same household, but different genes. And what you find is that identical twins are more likely to have similar well-being than the fraternal twins. Ergo, the genetics probably is playing some effect, but the effect of heritability is relatively small. In other words, like you're not like built to be happy or not. And if you look at what the genetics is doing, it's kind of changing people's behavior. Like it changes their intuitions, say, about how social they want to be, or it changes their intuitions about how grateful they want to be. And so the upshot is that it means that even though there might be some heritable component, that just kind of makes it easier, harder. You're not like locked into that. Um, it's probably less heritable than even things like height or weight. You know, you're more like any, any of us can change our weight if we want to. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that the same is true of happiness. If you just put a certain amount of energy in, then you can change your happiness levels too. And you mentioned earlier on about the importance of attitude, mindset, and behavior. Does one have to come before the other? How does how do they work together? I think they interact a lot. I mean, I I see I see changing the behaviors as things like making more time to be social, um, becoming a little bit more other oriented. So you're taking on behaviors that help other people a lot. Um, in terms of mindset, I see things like taking time for gratitude. You know, taking time to be a little bit more present. I guess that could be attitude too. I'm going to smoosh mm-hmm. mindset and attitude there, but but they're sort of reciprocal. You know, if if I'm if I'm trying to cultivate a mindset of gratitude, it would be good to scribble down things I'm grateful for, or thank people more in my life, or you know, write those thank you letters I've always been meaning to write. Mm. So even those mindsets need to translate into behavior. Same thing with presence. You know, I might want to cultivate a mindset of presence, but I best do that through practices like meditation or practices where I'm really you know, focused on being present, you kind of have to do that. It takes intentional effort. So all these things wind up interacting with one another. If you do the right behaviors, then it's easier to maintain the right attitudes and mindsets. Right. Did you have your own journey with happiness? You know, what was like your impetus for really being interested in it? Yeah. So it started when I took on a new role at Yale. So I'm a fact, I'm a uh, professor here at Yale. Uh, And for a while I was doing that. But then about four years ago, I became a head of college at Yale. And so these are... (laughs) it's a wonderful job but it's also a mixed job it basically sure. means i'm a dorm mother for like 500 students I'm sure they will. Will. you to death and they you know they're, they're, they're <laughs> i miss them because they're all off campus oh. right now from COVID 19 but um oh. but that was when i really started hanging out with students closely and that was when i really started to see this mental health crisis among students kind of up close and personal where yeah, I was just seeing students who were just like anxious all the time or panic stricken about whether they were going to get some internship or, you know, even in some cases, like, you know, actively suicidal. And it was just different than I remember my undergrad being. It was just much more intense and much more extreme for these students. And so the, the journey to starting the class really started with them. I just thought, this is so sad that my community is going through this stuff. And it was extra frustrating because I knew there was work on this. I knew there were interventions that these students could take to feel better. I should say though, at the same time, you know, I, I also saw a lot of myself in them, you know, because I was watching them become miserable because they were prioritizing the rights, the wrong stuff. You know, they were 
not hanging out with their friends because they were working on problem sets too late. You know, they were not taking any time off. You know, they were griping and complaining about all this stuff and not feeling gracious and experiencing thankfulness. And so even though I was worried about them, I was also seeing my own bad habits in some of their behavior. And so part of the route to happiness was to learn about this stuff, to teach it to my students, but also you know, secretly kind of so I could practice it a little bit more myself. Because I knew if I was teaching it and becoming an expert on it, I'd have to actually double down and really do it myself. It doesn't really work if you're telling them to be grateful and mindful and they are watching you and you're super not doing it yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I don't think there's been a generational example yet, which like, I'm curious to see if it will happen on the other side of what's going on now with COVID-19 where it is the norm or it is looked upon as productive to slow down. You know, it is productive to take time for yourself to meditate, you know, because I, I, I'm thinking about myself in college and no, I didn't like give myself like intentional, thoughtful breaks, right? Like my breaks would be the weekends when I get really drunk. You know what I'm saying? Like there was never like, okay, I'm going to take a walk around campus right now for 20 minutes, clear my head, maybe meditate, come back to this paper. It was always like grind, 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 because that's what I had to do in order to get it done and to feel somewhat of satisfaction in the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And I think it's only gotten worse, you know, since you went to college, right? I mean, just in the last 10 years, we know that students are feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling more busy. They're feeling more anxious. And I watch my students when they finally get some free time, which is incredibly rare. They just get super anxious, right? They're just like, I need to be doing something. I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing something or I'm falling behind. And, and so, which is just so devastating, I think, because the, the research really suggests that time is a much more precious commodity for our happiness than so many other mm. things. Time is actually more important than money for our happiness. Um, there's a lot of research by uh, Ashley Willens, who's a professor at Harvard Business School, and she studies what's called time affluence, which is this subjective feeling that you're wealthy in time. Um, mm. She finds it's the opposite of what's called time famine, when you're kind of famished, you know, starving for time. But the effects of time famine look a lot like the effects of hunger famine, right? Where we're like, you know, starving and we're kind of triaging things and we're kind of desperate. It spikes your stress hormones and it's just feeling like you don't have that much time. And so she actually finds that the the odd thing is that we're feeling more time famished than ever, but the data actually suggests that we're getting more free time than we ever have, which is kind of weird. Um, but, but she finds that that free time is broken up into what she calls time confetti. It's these like little tiny blocks of time here and there which add up if we use them the right way, but it never really feels like we have a lot of time. Mm. Like meeting, meeting. And then I have like 45 minutes off. And I'm like, oh, what can I do in those 45 minutes? I'll just go on Twitter. or I'll just check some email. And so, so we never kind of feel like we have these big blocks of time. But she finds it really maps onto well-being. So people who prioritize their time affluence, um, usually over their wealth affluence, end up happier. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.